This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. Or at least you better be. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Most of the Homeless Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Damien. All right, buddies. Well, I am losing my voice. So I'm going to try to make this short and sweet and to the point, but you know me. I ramble on way too long, and I'm way too excited about today's special guest. Today's guest is director Alex Cox. Alex Cox, of course, is responsible for the films Repo Man, Sid and Nancy, Straight to Hell, Walker, and most recently, he did a, uh, a collaboration with the CU Film Department where he teaches on a film called Build a Galactic Hero, which is kind of a comedy spoof of Starship Troopers kind of deal. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, I'm so excited that we got to score this interview. When I was uh, becoming a punk rock kid, you know, here, here's the secret about me. I actually love movies more than I love music. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm a, I'm a film fan first, punk rocker second. It's very close, very close in regards but uh punk rock is a little bit easier to ex- music is a lot more accessible for me it's a lot easier to get into and work your way around um and plus musicians come to the town filmmakers don't alex cox lives in boulder he's teaching at the university up there and uh i grew up watching repo man and sid and nancy when i became a punk rock kid these were the films that we watched to help educate ourselves about the punk rock world uh where we had come from, where we were going, what to do, what not to do. I think one of the main reasons I do not do hard drugs is because of Sid and Nancy. <laughs> um, I found out that Alex was living in Boulder through a coworker of mine, this kid Jack, uh, who used to go to school at CU. And uh, he worked, he had a friend that worked on Build a Galactic Warrior, Build a Galactic Hero, excuse me. Too much of death of his coffee, buddies. Um, and uh, Jack was telling me all about it and how something about Iggy Pop and Alex, Jack, and whatever. Long story short, as I go home that night, Google Alex Cox, and sure enough, he's teaching in Boulder. He's got a new movie that's about to come out. I've got a podcast for him to promote it. So I shoot off an email to the uh, email address on the website, and holy shit, I didn't get a PR person. I didn't get an assistant. I got Alex Cox. Alex Cox wrote me back personally, and his spirit just signs through. It's just this... I don't know, you, you'll hear it here in a minute, but he is the guy I wanted him to be, and it was such a fantastic experience. Um, he wanted to do the interview in December. I work at an organic grocery store retailer. It's Christmas time. I couldn't make it work. So I missed the premiere of Build a Galactic Hero that I was invited to. had a chance to interview him there at the show. Unfortunately, couldn't make it work. Then I had the bright idea uh, of killing two birds with one stone. Elvis Costello played last night, March 1st, in Boulder. Well, I'm going to Boulder to see Elvis Costello. I've got a ride. I don't have a car, so I've got a ride. So could, let's make it happen then. Then I have an even better idea. Hey, and and, and let's, let me preface this. I, I know that new going into this, that this was going to be Alex's uh, 
last year at Boulder. I wanted to make sure to get it in and get it done and get the interview uh, before he took off for Parts Unknown. And then I had the brilliant idea. I Elvis Costello is probably my favorite living songwriter along with Chuck Reagan. I think I think Elvis Costello ekes out Chuck Reagan just because of how big and um, huge his career has been and how hard he's been for me to get a hold of. I've tried over the course of years to get in touch with uh, Elvis Costello and his people, but it's just never worked. And I've actually had people on my behalf try to make that happen. And you know what? It just hadn't worked. So I had this brilliant idea. I want to interview Alex Cox. Alex Cox directed Elvis Costello in Straight to Hell along with Joe Strummer, Courtney Love, Shane from the Pogues, and uh, God, so many other people are in Straight to Hell. Straight to Hell, of course, is a fucking amazing, wild, zany, madcap, super violent uh, spaghetti western that he made. And I, I'd never seen it before uh, getting ready for these interviews, and I loved it. Seek it out. I think you'd enjoy it. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. And I thought, surely, you know, if I wow the pants off Alex with an interview, he might be like, hey, Elvis, come meet my friend Damien. He's a great, you know, he's an adequate interviewer journalist. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, Alex agreed to do the interview, had it all set up. But as we're going to find out in the first couple of minutes of the interview, Alex and Elvis have lost touch, sadly, over the course of the years. Um, ain't no harm, no foul. You know, it's one of those things. We got a great interview today with Alex. I was really pleased to chat with him. Um, it's funny. It, he made the two punk rock films, but his career, he, he, the rest of them aren't necessarily punk rock, but they're punk rock in spirit And that Alex doesn't really Alex does what he wants. He's made the movies he's wanted to make with the energy he's wanted to make. And uh, he doesn't care who he pisses off. He's pissed off the Hollywood elite. Um, and I don't know. There's just something very punk rock about his spirit of DIY-ness. You know, he makes the films he wants um, with the people he wants and how he wants to. It doesn't matter. He's just going to make sure that story gets told. And there's nothing really more punk rock than the way he approaches filmmaking. And I think there are a lot of lessons in today's story uh, with Alex that we can attribute to either our own bands, our podcasts, our short films, our YouTube channel, you know, and I, I, I like that this show is becoming more and more about that aspect. And we talk about all that here in a minute. Uh, before we get into the interview, I just want to plug our sponsors, Death Wish Coffee at deathwishcoffee.com, the highest caffeinated dark brewed roasted coffee in America. Fucking love these guys. They get me up in the morning. They keep me going through all those long hours of work. And you know what? If I got a, if I got a show to go see, Band interview after working ten hours at my organic grocery store. I need I need some Death Wish coffee to perk me up, and then after the show, I go stop by and visit my buddies at Ratio Beerworks. Ratio Beerworks at RatioBeerworks.com, twenty nine twenty Larimer Street in Denver. Those guys lubricate me and make me all silly and stuff. And they're a couple of they're a bunch of old punk rock dudes who got really serious about craft brewing. Uh, you know. They met in the punk rock scene. They cultivated their friendship through the punk rock scene, and they built their brewery on the foundations of those lessons they learned in the punk rock scene. And we interviewed them a couple episodes back. But you know, they got beers like Repeater, named after Bugazi, Dear You for Jawbreaker, Antidote for the Gamets, and many, many more down the pipeline. Um, they're my favorite new brewery, and not only that. They give us free beers for our uh, live talk show events. Our next one is coming up Thursday, March 12th at Mutiny here in Denver. Uh, we're going to have special guest comedian Eric Henderson, my buddy Gerard, who's got a super crazy Hawaiian last name that I always mispronounce, but I leave it as Gerard Ka'ahune. 
I'm sure I butchered it. I apologize. My poor little dyslexic brain can't wrap my head around your name, Gerard. Um, and then musical guest, of course, that week is going to be Muscle Beach. It's going to be a great show. It's free, free beer. Come check it out. Uh, Mutiny, Thursday, March 12th. Ratio Beer Works, Death Wish Copy. Thank you, sponsors. I couldn't do this uh, with without you guys. I really couldn't. Um, so back to Alex Cox. Uh, for this adventure, I, I brought along my buddy, Matt. He is my... Uh, partner in crime for many of these moments we've had many we're not worthy wayne's world moments backstages at concerts that we had no right to be backstage at somehow benagled um so of course i was going to bring him for a chance to meet uh, one of our favorite film directors maybe elvis costello even though it didn't work out but uh um alex wanted to meet up at his office at cu but unfortunately but you know i i kind of wish we had met there in hindsight but uh this show is I want to have some beers, man. I want to have some beers with Alex Cox, film director Alex Cox. And, uh, you know, make it less of an interview and more of a chat amongst friends. And that's what we got here today. Uh, Alex suggested Under the Sun in Boulder. It's a nice little quaint, I shouldn't even say quaint, it's a giant restaurant and um, with an epic beer selection. And, uh, boy, that place packed place got crowded Alex was like oh are you sure it's not going to be too loud in there and I'm like oh no it'll be fine I'll add to the ambiance and sure enough it does uh, because that's what you get you get two people well three if you count my buddy Matt hanging around talking movies drinking beers and you know that's just the way I like it and hopefully you guys learn some life lessons from this I think I did as well and uh, we're just going to keep on keeping on and it, again before we get into the episode thank you guys for supporting everything please visit mostlyharmlesspodcast.com uh, subscribe on iTunes like us on Facebook leave us a review I can't do the show without you you know much less I, I can't do it without you guys that's all I got that's all I got so uh, let's let's journey to Under the Sun in Boulder um, I hit record just as soon as Alex got to the table um, and let's let's head there now as we chat with Alex about uh, the Elvis Costello show his career and more alright buddies let's take a listen maybe tomorrow you get that letter. You get my letter. You wrote him a real deal snail mail letter? I did because because I didn't. The email address. I just used to send them checks. In the oh, days yeah. when we would make money off of uh, Straight to Hell, I would send checks to Elvis and the Pogues and all the other people who were profit, profit participants. Yeah. So, those, so if I send him a check, it probably still get to him. Yeah, right. right. I'm not sure that they had any other communication. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it's. Um, what, what, one of the reasons why I hit you up today was I was like, oh, we, I, I reassociated. I was like, oh, we're going to go see Elvis in Boulder. You live up here. I just watched Straight to Hell for the first time ever. And I was like, oh, one, two, three. He's good in it. Yeah. Now, where, so where did you come from? I grew up in North Louisiana. Oh, okay. But you came, you came from oh, North Louisiana? Oh, we were... No, 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 no. Denver. Oh, okay. Denver. Denver. So yeah, not far. Right. I don't drive. I, I wrangled Matthew here into uh, driving. That, I, that, that is a rainbow. You were very kind. Yeah, I, I acquired a ticket for the show tonight. Oh, well, that's also yeah, that. Yeah. 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 I was like, hey, do you want to drive? I got the tickets somehow magically. Um, I'm very fortunate. I've worked in the music scene for 10 years. So a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend worked for the venue and was like, oh, yeah, we still have some secret tickets for sale. Do you want one? Yeah, because they I'm sold sorry. out in a day. In a day. Like yeah. yeah. I, if I had known, I would have... I'm going to kick this yeah, guy to the curb and brought you instead. Yeah, I think the Steely Dan ticket sold out in like 10 minutes or something. Yeah, because he's coming through Red Rocks, too. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, no, I believe it. But uh, he doesn't come through Colorado very often, so when he does, it's like a. It's one of those things. I don't know. It's been like eight years since he's come through. How long have you been in Colorado now? Four years. This is the end of my uh, four year. I have a four year contract, and this is my last semester. So you, you're not going to sign up again? So I think this is good. This is good. I, you know, it's been very interesting. Do you like teaching? It's all right. I like the students a lot. Actually, the students at CU have been very good because I made this film with them, and it turned yeah. out okay. You know, they yeah. they did a very good job. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, so that was excellent. So I've started recording, but you know we can edit any of this well, in or out. Right. But it's fun. Um, thanks for meeting me. Why did you choose this place? I was curious. Oh, because I live up in Table Mesa, and I oh. always come down here. My friend, you know Pablo Cajol Seth, who runs the IFS, the International Film I Series. Don't, but I'd like to. He uh, has a salon here, either here or in the southern, in the southern sun upstairs, every Tuesday, so four thirty or five. So I tend to come down after school and see him here with me. Well, we killed that quick. Which one is that? Um, Kulsh. Just something a little light before. The big crane, Kulsh. There it is, yeah. So, yeah, they just had stout month here. Yesterday was like all these different exotic stouts. We walked in, they were uh, erasing the sign from the window. Um, yeah, this is a cool little place. I was kind of expecting something dingier and jivier, but this works well, for me. It's Table Mesa, isn't it? I mean, Table Mesa is only about, yeah. it was only built in the 1970s. So yeah. well, it's, it's funny living in Denver for so long now, well, as long as I have been. Everything is new, hip, and cool, but it's like got this darkness to it all still. Like, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, drink some Alex Cox. Who would have thought? Uh, and then Elvis Costello. Yeah, Elvis Costello. Like, I can't, I, so uh, one of the things about this podcast, this uh, radio show, I do. It started out, I, I have a lot of music friends who can't quit the music business. And we would talk about like how it gets so embedded within us that we can't quit. And lately, I'm very surprised at what I've gotten to do by just picking up a tape recorder and recording. So a lot of it has become more about like getting up off the couch and doing it yourself. And um, just making something. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you've made films, and what I like about your films are they all have this... You're not somebody who's ever asked for permission, I don't think, to ever make anything. Like, no, I think you should. No, you should ask for forgiveness. Right. You know? Exactly. You don't ask for permission because it might say no. Yeah, and that and that's very quickly become a. That's become the new theme of the show is me and my own like, holy shit! I can't believe I'm 33 years old, but I feel like I'm a little 16 year old girl a lot of the times. So I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this thing. And it all started with that first step. And that's kind of what the show is morphed into. Um, but I know growing up, you wanted to be a paleontologist. Was, was that? I read that or heard that. I actually did want to be a paleontologist. Yeah. But I think it's like when you're a little kid, you either want to be an astronaut or a paleontologist. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's only the two professions. I have two kids, and yes, they both want to be yeah, paleontologists. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, so of the two professions, it seemed like that was the one that was more yeah. like, more likely. <laughs> to see that, but um, 
What? But yeah, no, I didn't have any real aptitude, aptitude for the sciences. Yeah. You need to have, for that, you need to have biology, physics, chemistry, you know, and I was, I was pretty inept at the sciences. Yeah. Flip these settings real quick. That works. Um, what, I, what I like, though, about that revelation that you wanted to be a paleontologist was it's kind of a dreamer-esque thing. Like, you're dreaming about the past and whatnot, and here you are, you're making things. But Does I think, that have to do And, that? you know, also, I think everybody who worked in special effects, I think they all started out wanting to be a paleontologist, yeah. like Phil Tippett or Ray Bradbury. I think... Oh, I mean, not Ray Bradbury, Ray, Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. They all started out, you know, oh, I'd like to go out the desert and dig up dinosaurs. And then that morphs into, okay, I'm going to create dinosaurs out of latex rubber and yeah. skeletal armatures and, and make them fight... You know, model cowboys and horse yeah. So, so instead of doing that, you make films. Yeah, or you yeah. Did, how, but you have stuff to, like that, in right? There, yeah. And you, uh, you went to law school, though. What was the? How did you decide to uh, go to law school? Then how did you decide to quit? I it? was just young. I didn't decide anything. You know, okay. When you are young, as you say, they they are archetypal eighteen-year-old girl. Other people make decisions for you, which you kind of go along yeah. with. And since I wasn't very good at the sciences, uh, my teachers and my folks thought that. Law was the next best thing. It's kind of like a science, the science of making money. And so they, uh, so I was encouraged to go to law school and be a, a law undergraduate. Thanks. Um, not yet. So the laws of making money. How did you... Um, so when did you decide to start making films? Well, I when I was, at, when I was like an undergraduate, I didn't worked really hard on my studies, but I did a lot of plays, a lot of um, amateur dramatics, and I really enjoyed that, and I thought, well, this is good, maybe I can make a living at this, yeah. and so I could, maybe I could work in the theater, or maybe I could work in, in films, you know, maybe I could be a director, or maybe I could be a production designer, and so I, I pursued that through academia, because I got a Fulbright to go to, no, I went to, I went to film school in England for a year, in Bristol. And then I got a Fulbright to go to the States to go to UCLA and go to graduate film school for three years. And so I did. Yeah. So when did you, back to that getting up off the couch, when did you realize you could actually make a film on your own? I suppose at UCLA because it was difficult to get access to the equipment. I was at a film school in England. Um, but we didn't have that much equipment, you know, it was really before video had come in and we were working in 16 and we didn't have very much in the way of cameras or lenses, so not everybody got to make a film and well, when I got to UCLA, they had, it was like CU, they had loads of equipment, you know, it was very, very well supplied film school and, and so then the means of production were finally in the hands of the would-be artists. Yeah. And what? Uh, and you made a, your first short at UCLA. I made a short at UCLA called "Sleep is for Sissies" or "Edge City," which was like a, a forty-minute short, which is far too long. Because um, I've tried to, I've been trying to encourage the students at CU to make films like ten minutes or seven minutes long. And like this short I made was forty minutes, it's ridiculous, yeah. because it's too long for a short and too short for a long, you know, so it can never play anywhere. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So I did that. DVD, home video, I guess, whatever. Yeah, you can put it on as a DVD element, yeah. or you can break it in four 10-minute extracts and stick it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, put it on Vimeo. Yeah. So, what do you... 
do you think now that you're teaching, you're you're ending your teaching career here shortly? But um, what do you take from those memories and moments in UCLA and bring them to the uh, table now in Boulder? It's all the same, really. It's all just about making films, you know, making films with low budgets. Yeah. And we were lucky here at CU because we had a much bigger budget. We had a $104,000 to spend on Build the Galactic Hero, which is an awful lot more than I had for my students. Right. So that was excellent. And the students are really good and behaved in a really professional way. And it was a like exemplary experience it was yeah. really a great experience it's tiring it's, tiring at the time but in retrospect right? yeah and it, it that is like the biggest student film ever made or something I along those so. lines yeah um, I think so because there have been films that were made with students you know there was a University of Texas had a program and they made films where they would bring in like professional director professional cinematographer and the students would assist but I think this is the first Student film with with a with a budget, yeah. which where the students have actually been in charge of the departments. Is it an Alex Cox film or is it a colla- more collaborative? I have my name on the poster, right. but in the directing department there are I think six names in the directing department or seven, and I'm the first yeah. one. Yeah. I directed the first act. Um, the students directed most of the second act. And I directed the third act, and it's and it's bookended by um, animation sequences, which were directed and created by other students. Yeah. Is it hard to give up that control for that middle half of the film? You always give up control to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's nice because I don't have to work so hard. You know, I can just go and kick back, you know, like an executive producer yeah. or something, you know, just... and sign checks. Yeah, I will go in the corner and sign checks. <laughs> and you're there for guidance and support. Yeah. Um, are you surprised that the trying to find the right word? Are you surprised at how proficient the students were at filming? But of course, I got to watch you do it too. Well, no, I think the other thing is that they really have—they've done all of these classes in like uh, cinematography and lighting. Um, they know how to load a magazine with film. You know, um, they know—they know how to do all the things you have to do. So that's. They get taught well at CU. Right. CU's a good school. Yeah. Um, is there any... Is it, no, that's that's a kind of a harsh question to ask, but is there anybody that you can see... Like, watching your films, you have a, an extraordinary eye for talent. Do you see any of these guys coming through this program and really breaking free out of the... Uh, that world? I think some of the people in the camera department, some of the people in the art department, the sound designer, the uh, some of the actors, the guy who plays Bill, and the, guy, the woman who plays Deathwish Trang, um, the guy who plays Tembo. There's some pretty good actors in it. Yeah. I mean, particularly uh, James Miller, who plays Bill, because he gets to be in the film all the way through. You know, he's not just play, he's not just in it for ten minutes, yeah. so he actually gets. To, do the character thing and he gets to develop his character yeah. um, which is pretty exciting because he's a very good actor and he's in New York now I think he's you know bus boy and yeah. um, uh, and aspirant actor but he's got this thing on his resume now too yeah he's a yeah. pretty good actor I, I, I was blown away like rewatching your films over the weekend like you've worked with some very talented people like you know yeah. Joe Strummer of yeah, course Elvis Oh, uh, Emilio Estevez, Ed yeah. Harris. Very talented. Uh, 
do you when these guys are in these films is it just luck that you cast them and they're extraordinary or do you help bring that extraordinary out of them Oh, I think it's mostly casting. I think yeah. you cast them because they're extraordinary. Because you've seen them do something else, like with Ed Harris, and you kind of knew just by looking at Ed Harris that he could do something yeah. really, really amazing. And or sometimes with like Harry Dean Stanton, you know, he's right. in so yeah. many movies that you see this guy. And wow, amazing. yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. just cast that guy, and it's going to be fine. Did you get to see any of the character that he has become over the years? Then. Because um, he's become he's just kind the same, of isn't he? Yeah, isn't but he the same? He's—I've only just recently discovered the cult of Harry Dean Stanton and like how bizarre. Well, I don't even want to say how bizarre, but just how um, against the grain he is in real life. He always seems well. I mean, because I—I—I just—my impression is that he hasn't changed. Although I haven't really followed Harry of late, right. so I don't really know what he's done of late. Except he was in that thing where he was the Mormon patriarch. Harry must be 90. He's up there, yeah. Yeah. He was old in the 80s. Right? Yeah. He was 58 when we did Repo Man when I was 29. So he was exactly twice my age. Um, speaking of Repo, since we're talking about Repo Man, I watched it again last night for the first time in a, in a little bit. And the line that always jumps out, the one that I love the most is, and I'm sure it's the one everybody loves. It's look at those assholes. Yeah. Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. I mean, I still feel that way to the... Oh, wait. Quotation marks here. I hate them. That's kind of how I feel. Really? You feel that way about ordinary people? So you know, with ordinary people? I don't know. They just seem the ants in the colony. You know? Those guys were so poor, too. I mean, the people he was singing about, they were completely impoverished and yeah. messed up. Well, I'm talking about, like, you know, the yuppies it looked like in that scene. Oh, well, those are... Or that or was that the tennis playing? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, yeah. I get behind one No, see them I, identif- I identify pit. as a punk rock kid. Yeah. But no, I, I love that line of that scene. What's that? This one. Oh. Um, but those themes that came out of that work came out of a 29-year-old. I take well, the script was written a couple of years before that. The script oh. was probably written in 1982. Yeah. Or 81, huh. 82, and got made in 83. It's just an infant. Yeah, so it's even younger. But Orson Welles was 25 when he made Citizen Kane, so yeah. come on. Man. God, I'm 33, what have I done with my life? Oh, I said that I was te- I'm teaching this class at CU called Intro to Film, which is one of those big classes where all the- everybody just comes because it's like, a, you know, you can take the box and take right. the class. And, um, and I said, how many people here are, 80, uh, are 21? people are 21 years old. Hands go up. When Orson Welles was 21, he was directing an all-black cast in a stage production of the professional theater of Macbeth in Harlem, New York, when he was 21 years old. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. You're like, oh, it's 9.30 in the morning. Come on. <laughs> oh, what do you mean what am I doing? <laughs> and of course, you've already been up since what? What time do you get up in the mornings? Oh, just before 7. Yeah. Drink a lot of coffee. Two cups of coffee in the morning. Two cups of coffee in the morning, and perhaps another cup during the course of the night. But still, by that point, those twenty-one-year-olds who were hungover from the night before—they don't want to. Still, well, that's the thing about a, cl- a class that starts at uh, nine thirty in the morning. Yeah, I do. You yeah. do have a certain number of people who fall asleep, especially when the um, when the films are screened. 
the screening of the film is an opportunity for students to have a little rest. You know, yeah. I see heads like leaning against the wall. But that's how you find the passionate people too in those programs. Too. I mean, the other thing was when we were doing Build a Galactic Hero, we were shooting it on the weekends. So with students, so the students had like a regular teaching schedule. I mean, a regular studying schedule in the week, regular classes. Some of them had jobs as well, to pay at least half of their jobs. And then on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, they have to come in on their only free time yeah. and work on building like a hero as well. So that's kind of brutal. Yeah. I mean, that's not exactly an easy hold a row. But if they want to be independent filmmakers, that's what you do. Then, you yeah, work then you, 20 that's days right. in a row. It's interesting. Exactly. So you get yeah. practice at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. It was good. And the only alternative would have been to do it 20 days in a row. But that would have been probably too steep of a learning curve yeah. for us all to get to know each other and get it right, and iron out any difficulties, switch people from job to job. You know, if they weren't doing well in one job, you had time to move them around. In 20 days or 15 days, you wouldn't have time to do it. So, that, so we had to do it in that fragmented weekend by weekend way, just to get to know each other and figure out, you know, how to get it done. But, and also for the animation, because the animation took forever. Yeah. Why did you go with the animation route for the intro and outros? Um, kind of like Wizard of Oz. I wanted to be Wizard of Oz in reverse, you know. Cool. With the ca- starting color and then go black and white. And also, really, I mean, I mean, truth to tell, we didn't have a, a village set, you know, a village location yeah. and, a, and, a, and a, a plow boy and a hot spring and, and, and all those other things that... And, and it also should, it needed to be a kind of an idealized place as well. Kind of like, a, you know, you'd imagine a happy right. yeah. childhood environment. It, it was just an interesting juxtaposition between the two. I really liked the black and white of the film, the starkness of it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Did you record it on film? The first act is all film. Yeah. The second act, when the film breaks on the way to Helior, we, we shifted the video we shot that on a black magic camera and then the third act we shot on infrared yes. so each act is different really. I, I, the black and white was just so black Ooh. so white the reflective surfaces and it, it worked well it's really well done and a lot of it is post because the the, the 35 looked really good but the 16 that we shot was very very grainy and a lot of noise you know and so you know, and even the print. Did, yeah, yeah. So then it was a question in software going into the film and making it look clean. So I'm not so keen on 16 anymore just because it's so hard to get it right. But 35 is yeah. very nice. Um, let's sit back to the re- some Repo Man stuff, though. Um, I was trying to ask a second ago, and I don't know if I actually phrased it right, but when you were like tw- in your 20s, you wrote that movie, there seems to be a sense of anger in there. Was there anger in that? And... Presumably, I mean, you're yeah. supposed to be pissed you know, off. If you're right. a punk rocker, you're supposed to be pissed well, right. off about something. Well, were you a punk rocker kid? Well, I certainly supported the yeah. movement. Yeah, I mean, I went to a lot of shows and was very in favor of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you find any of that anger still resides in you today? Well, nothing much has changed, really, except things got worse. I don't really think. Being, I mean, there isn't much point in being angry though, because anger just kind of takes. It just tends to take your energy away, you yeah. know. If you get really pissed off and you're in a fury and fuming and stuff, you can't really function, you know. So I need to work on that in my personal life. It's just 
there's a Kurosawa film. Uh, you know the Kurosawa film about the old guy who's dying of cancer, Ikiru? Yeah, I, I know the name. I don't know if I've seen it's it. It's a bit sentimental, but it's a very good performance by that guy. Very. Yeah, my dad raised me on Kurosawa. Films. Oh yeah. Okay. I've I've seen a lot lately in later years. I don't think I've seen that one. He's just trying to do. He finds he's got cancer. He's going to die. And he's just trying to do some good. And and before he dies, he gets his project going. He's trying to make the project happen. And at one point, they get beaten up by the mafia or something and then he, and then this young guy who helps him goes don't you ever get mad you know don't you ever get angry at these guys and he's just like staggering along and he goes I haven't got time yeah. <laughs> so was was UCLA what like cause like Repo Man it brought a lot of like west coast punk rock music along with it it's totally West Coast yeah, apart from yeah. Iggy I mean Iggy's the only was that UCLA that like I gotta have another beer though haven't I I, better, I may as well choose another beer by yeah. yeah. right, yeah. oh you got a trickster on great yes please thank you like I was, I was in my teens around the time when, like, you know, like so, '84. I was 12, um, and I, and I, I grew up with like a lot of heavy metal and stuff, and, yeah. and and then we found like punk rock and like, yeah. like everything just like flipped, like you know, like the energy, the excitement of it. In what but city? Repo Man was here, and uh, actually down in Colorado Springs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but like punk rock, like hit like small towns across the Midwest, yes. like like a sledgehammer. And Repo Man was one of those things. It was like that. Uh, another state of mind. Uh, there was a Sonic Youth documentary around that time, like and so like all of that just kind of slammed into us all at one time. There was a there was a Penny Spurious documentary, The Decline and Fall of Western Civilization. That, that one, uh, amazing yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and she did a drama called Suburbia, which didn't get a big release. No, but, but it was also excellent. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was a good film. Well, and she was such an amazing director. Anyway, I mean, you know, with, what she did with uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. Wasn't that her? No. No. Uh, I thought it was. I thought she directed it and Tim and Joe wrote it. Maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think it was a Penny Spears. I don't think it was. Um, Kevin Crow wrote that. Yeah, he wrote it. It was a Rolling Stone article, but... Yeah. Anyway. But having that, th- like, you know, like, was that, like, a product of you being at UCLA? Is that how well, you- I mean, just of being in L.A. Because the because the bands would... Because all those bands were based there. I mean, we had, like, Fear, Circle Jerk, Suicide Tendencies, Black Flag, X. X were, like, Who's the... Coming? And when are X coming? Uh, April. But to Boulder? Uh, or to, to Denver. 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 Denver again. Okay, good. You want tickets? I'm going to it. Actually, I know some guys who might go to Denver. Because they came about a year and a half ago, didn't they? I believe with their documentary film, and I missed that. Yes, that's right, with their film. I missed that as well. So they reformed, and is it with... But they've not. But it's not actually Servecno and John Doe together again, or is it? Is it the whole I, I band again? So. I believe it is. Oh, really? How interesting. Yeah. Wow. I believe they've, they're getting along well enough right now to get the paychecks. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was a big sort of thing in the movement, you know, in, because punk was kind of a movement in LA. And when John Doe and XE broke up, it was all kind of like, oh, no. You know? Yeah. 
because you didn't really care about that much, but they were kind of, X were kind of cool, you know. I like, so how involved in that uh, music world were you? I know you like lived in the same neighborhoods as those guys. And that's well, how I they went to a lot of shows. I used yeah. to go to the Starwood all the time. And, and most of the punk bands played there or in even lesser yeah. venues. And you, you discovered it all in London where it originated. No, 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 I wasn't in London. I never lived in London. I saw a little bit of punk in a little bit of punk fashion yeah. in Bristol. Sorry. I was there. My, my my American sensibilities of assuming yeah. everything and but I was no, I was from like outside Liverpool and then I was in Oxford nice. and then I was in Bristol. But I've never, really, except for the time we did Sid and Nancy, I've never lived in London. Okay. But being being over there in the UK, is that where you discovered the punk rock and you came here, or only a little bit? Here? Only only really as a a, a, a visual yeah. style, you know, because there were punk kids in town. Yeah. But I only really listened to the music really in LA. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had some friends in London, and I would come back for you know in the summer or something. I would I'd see friends who were into it. You know, and who really were into the pistol. But, um, but I got more into the LA scene and then into the Clash, because the Clash came to Los Angeles and played there a couple of times. Yeah. And the Sex Pistols never made it to LA because they broke up in San Francisco on their tour. They were supposed to do this tour that came, you know, through cowboy towns, yeah. through Texas, San Francisco, down to LA. And they broke up in San Francisco, so they never saw but then somehow you made the movie anyway. Yeah, we made the movie anyway. It didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Show anyway. Um, what attracted you to that world? Do you remember? I just thought it was great. Well, I mean, it was it was an artistic movement. It was like the um, it was an anti-capitalist, anarchic movement, like the surrealist movement. You know, it was which was both an an artistic way of seeing things and also. Um, uh, you know, kind of yeah. fashion and lifestyle choice. Yeah, and then and then again, the and it was against money. It was right. kind of a, it, it, it was against money and against and just displays of money. It was all about the idea, like you're saying with the podcast, you could do it yourself. You know, if yeah. you had a guitar and a tape recorder, you know, then you could be a rock star. Yeah. You know, that kind of and, and you don't need anybody's permission. And you didn't need permission to do it. No, no exactly. You can just that was the punk ethos and I know in my youth I didn't grasp that until one day I just started doing it on my own and here I am talking to you about movies I would rent on VHS that's the it's it's about taking autonomy and saying okay I'm able to do this whatever it is I'm interested in well I can go and do it you know and not just be a consumer of it and, and it's funny how little effort it takes to become a part of it I mean it takes a lot of effort, but that first step is... Yeah. The first step is the hardest and the yeah, easiest yeah, step. Yeah. You know. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you just have to be you have to be persistent, and you have to have to be talented to a certain extent. Well, but right. really, but really persistent, too, and just, you know, and, and pleasant enough that people can stand to be around you, you know, and... and yeah. I, I like the scene in... Well, it's the key scene of Repo Man. Emilio uh, Otto, I guess, is walking down the street, runs into Bud, Harry Dean Stanton, and goes, hey, kid. And his adventure begins. Um, all because he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I was curious, do you yourself believe in destiny, or is it just dumb luck in this world? 
don't really know about destiny. Destiny is pretty, pretty grand term. I think. Um, I, I think what I'm describing though is like the grandiose term. I mean, it's good for movies. Yeah. You know, it's good for a movie to have people. Oh, they were destined to have that happen to them. You know, it's good in the movie, you know, but but in real life, I think I believe in a vocation. I believe that people have. Um, most people have a vocation of one kind or another if they can discover it, you know, that they're much better at some things than other things, right. you know, and if you can only figure out what that is and what gives you pleasure, you know. It's kind of a slimmed down voice of destiny. Right, yeah. And then you just kind of... Do you think you're good at making films? Kind of on that same thing? Are you good at it? I mean, you made some great ones. Good at ones. making them cheaply. Yeah, right. Yeah. Pretty good at making them cheaply. Yeah, yeah, because none of your films were very expensive. Also, and also I think at integrating special effects, funnily enough, because now all movies are special effects. Right. But I really have been always very charmed by special effects and by, you know, futuristic cityscapes and... Yeah dinosaurs and, you know any any kind of weird stuff and now that the weird stuff is so much more readily available you can have so much more of it through software you know um, it's, it's very exciting yeah. any of it? like like I'll always remember Blade Runner right and, yeah. and that cityscape that, yeah. that has become the iconic post-apocalyptic cityscape and we see that that China and Beijing literally like has that cityscape huge but video screens it's, it's and really metropolis it's it's all metropolis right. and, and, the, and the Blade Runner actually follows the schematic of metropolis you show these amazing amazing model shots or paintings and then you go indoors to an amazingly huge interior you know the capitalist's office yeah you know and and you're right they've built that That now that's being built on the banks of the Thames in London in Shanghai yeah and it, it, it's almost as if these people watch these movies and they're like this is what we should aspire to build like architecture is architecture is amazingly based on I think especially on Metropolis maybe because Metropolis is in the public domain so you don't have to pay for the rights yeah. but it's so influenced by science fiction yeah by science fiction, yeah. science fiction paperback covers and magazine yeah. covers. Yeah. The old folks. Yeah, yeah. Only they're spending billions of dollars on these buildings. Once again, capitalism comes into it, right? Amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, you see like these films, and a lot of those are based on an idea of like a community building these things. But what we've really seen is that wealth. And, and this this desire for symbolism is slinging these things up. I mean, Dubai and, and you know some of the middle Middle Eastern countries were you know like look at this symbolism of like how awesome we are with our biggest building for a week, and tomorrow there'll be a bigger one, and yeah. swimming pools and waterfalls off yeah. of it. But the science fiction vision of that really is the, the time machine thing. Like when he goes into the future and he sees all these <coughs> massive buildings, you know, on the banks of the Thames in London, but they're all yeah. overgrown and he can't quite make out the shape of them anymore. But, and then they're almost entirely deserted and the population's just gone somewhere else. You know, and there's only a few people left hanging around. And 
that's the sort of that's what I, I mean I think that's what we all think about we see like Dubai or London or whatever it is you know you think about what what will it be like when it's deserted you know when there's nobody in those buildings well, and there was even that show about that on Discovery Channel right like after man is gone and they like and, and a lot of times Detroit has kind of become America's go to on that right like because we have so much rotting infrastructure there where you can see like this building five years ago was this and now the floors are falling out like it was a, a beautiful school or something and it's it now it's just like, yeah. waste and desolation yeah. and I'm sorry I'm letting you know yeah, no it's cool it's cool but you know and it, you've got different ideas and, and I love that kind of stuff because being a, a big sci-fi reader right yeah. and like dreaming of the future uh, who's your of, favorite sci-fi writer uh, for me it's probably Niven Okay. Uh, and one of my favorites is is much along the lines of like the time machine. It's the one where like you know the guy in the, the ramjet, and you know you have time dilation for him traveling. And so when he gets back to Earth, like ten thousand years have passed by. Everything's different. But it's that same base dream of like what will it be like long after I should be dead? You know, like yeah. the cities have crumbled. Uh, what what have people become? What's important? And I, I've always liked that kind of hard sci-fi, and, and you know, he basically time travel would be tough. So I'm going to make it where we're using real science to make it where time travel kind of happens, just because you age slowly and everyone else is speeding through years. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of science fiction, yes, Bill, yes. the Galactic Hero, is a science fiction movie based on a book by Harry Harrison, which is. Um, I have not read it, but by all accounts, ridiculous. It's really good. I mean, it's not ridiculous. I mean, it's it's, well, it's Terry, pretty good. Terry Pratchett called it one of the his funnier. Terry Pratchett said he said something like all his work was based on it, and I think yeah. that might be true. I think if you well, if you read this book and you get in, you get kind of you know excited by it, it does. It, it tends to involve itself in everything else you right. do because I've seen. So many jokes that I've put in films over the years that have come probably from Bill the Galactic Hero. Um, and it's just a story of this guy. I mean, Harry Harrison was like a hard-working science fiction writer. His stuff was normally very research-based, you know. And on this occasion, he didn't do any research. He just wrote a novel about being in the military. And it's really funny and ironic and stupid and... And, it, and so you think of like Catch-22 yeah. or you know, Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, it's in that league. Yeah, right. you know, it's exactly. such, we're all quiet on the Western Front. I mean, it's such a good book. And, it, and he wrote it as a riposte to Starship Troopers because he'd read Starship Troopers and thought, what is it? So he wrote his own book in it. Did you read Starship Troopers? Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like it, but it's crazy. I mean, it's a mad fantasy of right. militarism, and you can only vote if you've been in the army. And, you know. I, I've only made it about ten pages. In. I've tried. I've picked it up a handful of times. I can't make it further than ten pages in. But one day, it's. I mean, I mean, Harry's book is much better. Build a Galactic Hero is really funny and authentic. Yeah. Heinlein's thing is more like. Maybe it's like a bit like reading um, Anne Rand or something. It's maybe it's a bit ideological. But he does write well, Heinlein. He's a very good writer. I mean, was was Verhoeven the one who did the he did the Starship Troopers? Yeah, yeah. Right. which is so much more consumable than the, the book. It's 
yourself, right? Like, although, yeah, I like the book much more. I mean, because the book, they're wearing spacesuits all the time. They're in, you know, like the guys in Bill. They've got, um, they're carrying nuclear missiles under their arms. Um, they're fighting. They're, you know, they're like autonomous fighting machines in space. And whereas the Verhoeven film, that was about young people fighting giant ants with machine guns. We Which actually, was entertaining too. Yeah. A lot of my friends always have always said that, and I, and I would agree that that, that that the movie Aliens, you know, the James Cameron one, mm-hmm. is much more Starship Troopers than Starship Troopers really was. You know, you have your Colonial yeah. Marines and they've got their their big weapons rigs and their flamethrowers and they're they're fighting this you know this xenomorph and, and then basically what Cameron did was take. You know, Ridley Scott's universe melded with Starship Troopers and he gave us aliens, you know? Yes. And I think he even had to throw in a, a Heinlein credit on that one. Much like oh, he how had to, interesting. So he gave Heinlein a credit. Much like he had to do with, like, Terminator. I don't know. Because oh. in Terminator, he had to give oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Harlan Ellison the credit. Yeah. Hey, I have, to call my, I have to call someone for a second because I have to give her back her car in 20 minutes. Okay. Hi. Where back were we? Atlanta. Where were we before Matt started? We were in uh, the, 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 the Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. Well, so what? I what they got it, and about the humor of Bill the Galactic Hero. I found that your career is peppered with mad, wild, zany characters. You seem to have a penchant for those mad characters. I think that's maybe that. Well, that could be the influence of Build the Galactic Hero. You never know. I mean, it could be like Terry Pratchett. You, know, it could yeah. be, you read that book once, and it just affects your okay. thing. Yeah. Um, do you remember your it, like? It, you have a sense of humor about yourself. Do you remember your how you hone that sense of humor, or does this happen naturally for you? I think you've got a sense of humor. It's kind of natural. I mean, right. I, I'm. Because I come from outside Liverpool, everybody in Liverpool is pretty funny. I mean, they actually take themselves very seriously too, and they're very sentimental. Right. You know, but but there is this super, you know, that Beatles thing. There's this superficial kind of like, yeah. Well, what I like about yourself, in, I, I listened and read a bunch of interviews. You don't, you hold your. How do I? Your work shows some anger, but you yourself are very happy, gregarious. I think gregarious is the right word. I don't actually know what that word means, but I think, um, I think gregarious means oh, able to talk to a lot of people, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're just very open, easy to communicate. With. It doesn't. Well, that's part of the job, though, isn't oh, it? Is it? You know, yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you have to be able to communicate very well. Thanks for passing that this way. It's not at all. It's interesting to read the. Um, to read the uh, the biography of Orson Welles because I'm reading one of uh, one of his bios because I'm teaching this class intro to film. So you've got to show Citizen Kane, you've got to show them the beginning of Touch of Evil, you know, show them a bit of the trial, show them Welles as an actor, you know, all these things to do. Talk about that that career, you know, his career, and it's fascinating to read about the stuff that that guy pulled off. Extraordinary, very interesting, you know. And to kind of then to try and translate that into something what does it matter to somebody who is 21 years old or 20 or 19 years old today that there was a guy called Orson Welles? I mean, it's the twinkling of an eye, you know, and it's gone. And so, the 
So it's interesting to throw these things out there. That there was like a Francesco Rossi and a Fellini yeah. and a, you know and a Terence Stamp and, a, and an Orson Welles. Or, but Orson Welles was, from what I know about him, which I know is nowhere near as much as you. He he just he was confident in his abilities. Certainly did a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, he certainly pulled off a lot of stuff. He was an amazing character. Um, so, so looking back, speaking of careers and his career, looking back at your career, and you mentioned Penelope Spears earlier. Yeah, she had a, like a punk rock background. Certainly, yeah, yeah she was a documenter, the documenter of it. Did yeah. you know her back then too? Yes, I'm, I knew her in Los Angeles. I'm sure you might still know her. I haven't heard from her in years. Yeah. I think she's teaching somewhere as well. Probably everybody's teaching somewhere yeah. or retired. But I, I look at her. What I like about your career is she made the Wayne's World movie. It's great. I enjoy it. She did not make the second one. But then she made a series of like, the Brady Bunch movie. I mean, and the she, thing she is... Made some, she made... It, it doesn't feel like you ever sold out. It, made, it feels like you always made what you wanted to make how you wanted to make it. But I bet you Penny made a lot more money than that. Well, but is she more satisfied? Are you satisfied with your career? Ah, I guess no, that's question. a good question. Well, does money buy happiness? Right. I, I didn't mean to ask that, but now that we've gotten there, yeah, are you satisfied? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I'm not entirely satisfied. If right. I was entirely satisfied, I could stop working. I wouldn't have to do yeah. anything anymore. Yeah, you would be talking to me. I mean, one of the, I mean, yeah, and also one of the reasons I want to, you know, I, I like I like CU. I think CU is a good place, and I think CU one day might become a film school. And if and if we we kind of got rid of the veneer of of trying to be too many things, and we said, okay, we're going to be the hardcore film school, which all the students want want us to be, that could be something very interesting. Um, but also, I think I. I should probably make a, go make another film, and and it's and it's hard to make a film and teach simultaneously. And so I think I need to concentrate on the, over the next over the next couple of years on just making a film because that's kind of that's my main thing. Yeah, right. Um, and you made a couple of what micro features: Searchers 2.0, mm-hmm. Repo Check. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the future of cinema? Or is that just uh, well, the future of cinema in a way is like great big, very, very expensive. I mean, what did Interstellar cost? 165 million dollars right. or something. I mean, unbelievable sums of money get spent on films, but also very small sums of money get spent right. on films. Um, I think it's important to pay people. After my last experience, I don't think I can, I can ask people to work for nothing. It's good to pay people. They need to pay their bills. Rent, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know that kind of. Yeah. Well, that, that's the problem I run into with this. It's like, hey, I give this thing away for free. We come videotape some stuff for me. Yeah, I know. Okay. It's difficult, isn't it? Because how do you get? You know, yeah. you want to get your stuff out there. You want to, and also it's a, it's a, it's an economy. I mean, that's the nice thing about Bill is that I can just make it available for nothing. Yeah. Because it's a school project. And that's how I watched it. Yeah. We're not supposed to commercialize it. Yeah. So just, hey, you know, have a free copy, copy it, put it up online, do what you want with it, you know. Well, you, you tried for so long to make the movie 
and not to disrespect any of the work that went into it, but are you kind of disappointed you didn't get to make the grandiose epic you wanted? No, because I think actually if I made it back in '83 or '84 or something, I probably would. It wouldn't have been as good. Yeah. In a certain way, I mean, because we would have had Ernest Borgnine playing Deathwish Drang and things, and it would have been in a way it would have been, you know, a more traditional homage to movies. Whereas this is much more just exigent. It's much more just get it done. Yeah. Just get it done. And in a way, that's. There was one day when we had um, uh, one guy was playing the Emperor of the Galaxy. And we had to get him out there. It's a big television studio scene. We've got everybody in spacesuits and, and um, hazmat outfits. Everybody's got like a gas mask or a space helmet on. And they're costuming the Emperor of Space. And he's got his like scepter and his his medals and his cape and all that stuff and they're looking for boots and they just go put these on and the guy playing the emperor goes but these are two left boots get out there you know and so at that point the film had become what it was a critique of it was just a matter of us costuming people getting them in uniform and getting them out on the battlefield who cares if they're wearing two left boots or not that's great that you can yeah, even look back to that. Think of that. Uh, it's a beauty. You got it. I'm good right now. No, you save good. yourselves for Elvis. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm bummed that you can't be there with us, Matt. Do you want to go home and I'll just take Alex? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a, I got my wife's coming to get the oh, dogs, so yeah, and you're you. safe. Um, Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> but but uh, going back a little bit to change paces, I love the madcap zaniness of some of your stuff like Straight to Hell is a madcap zany film violent well it's like those Italian westerns it's yeah, based right. on I mean it's in the it's in their their world I'm really bummed that I had not seen it until recently well you have to see Straight to Hell Returns I will because Returns is even more okay it's the same but more yeah because you went back extra scenes with extra scenes there's more bloodshed um, it's the music got well, there's actually more music. We put another song by Joe Strummer in there. There's there's stop motion animation with skeletons. Yep. Yeah, you got to see straight to hell with it, it's it's a fun. It's just fun. And it's only about three minutes longer. It's not like Apocalypse Now Redux. Right, it's right, not right, like yeah. 35 minutes. But that's that's where the inspiration came from, right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And I like it. There's some good stuff in Apocalypse Now Redux, but it is very long. Well. That, for whatever reason, makes me rethink of back to Penelope Spears. Um, but are, are you? Did I hear right that you were in line to direct Three Amigos at one point? I was supposed to direct Three Amigos, but I had to direct Straight to Hell. Yeah. And it was funny because they were both wearing the same costumes. So, so, so your career could have gone in that like SNL direction. I could have been John Landis. But and, and back to that Destiny idea. Are you are you happy now where you are? I mean, you want to go back and make a new film, but when you think of the minds you shaped, is it a good thing? Oh, yeah, because how could it be otherwise? I know, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. How could it be otherwise? Everything is fine. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think it's just there's more to be done, but it just takes a while to make a film. Um, it might have been nice to make a film a year, but once every four or five years works also. You know, as long as I can keep making them, and at least I'm making films that that are interesting to me. You know, that I want to make, 
as opposed to being um, being given projects to make, right? You know, which is a way to go as well. I mean, <laughs> and you, you're kind of the master of your own destiny. You get to do what you want to do. Well, very mad, kind of small, confined, mad box destiny. Yeah. I had uh, I'd written this down as like one of those things to ask you we hit a lull but I like that you talk about the mad box but um, your your main characters in your films are often like, kind of madmen. Otto is kind of a madman Sid is definitely a madman uh, Bill not so much Bill is kind of but but you yourself have this lifelike character do you consider yourself at all a madman because nah. you kind of have to be to make a movie right yeah no I'm you're down there. Just no, I'm just down to earth and cunning, you know. And, cunning, and, I love that. That's yeah, a word that doesn't get used. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, and also, I mean, I'm, you know, some people might say I'm not very cunning, but I suspect that one way or another, you have to pull off the ability to make a film, and the ability really is a financial one. Because right. If you've got the money, you can go do it. So, how do you get that money? That's the hard part, you know. Yeah. And just to be able to come up with that money from one source after another, after another, after another. That's a real well, struggle. For like know? Repo Man, wasn't a large source of the money the air fresheners? Air if only, if only oh. they had given us money. They gave us oh. free air fresheners. Well, that was all. I just know they were in just about every damn scene. And I know people... That was meant to be that way because my, my friend who came up with those lines about the ordinary people, who was a repo man, the guy that the, that the story was based on, he would say, you know, every car we, every car we rip is going to have one of those airplanes hanging in. Um, are there any films right now today that... I, I listened to something earlier today where you said, American, you haven't seen a good American film is that still hold true? It, it was from a couple of years back. Yeah, you were at a film festival. Seen a good film trying to think. Yeah. Were you going to go see the new Goddard film tonight? Today? But that's not an American film. But tonight right, we're right, going, right, to right. The, going to go and see the 3D Goddard tonight. It's yeah. 3D. Yeah, it's in 3D. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what what directors do you find excite you still? Is it the foreign guys. Really, I see some movies from time to time and I enjoy them. I'm only interested in my own stuff. <laughs> I don't care about it. <laughs> uh, have you seen the movie Bellflower by any chance? No. It's one I think you would like. Uh-uh. It's a it's another one of those micro budget films. These guys, it's about a Kind of a love story, kind of a post-apocalyptic thriller. These guys build this, they modify and build this muscle car into a plate-throwing weapon. And I was watching Repo Man again last night, and like I kept, I kept seeing the, um, whether it's intentional or not on their behalf, um, I kept seeing a lot of, they film it in LA, the lesser parts of town, and it reminded me a lot of that energy and spark of Repo Man and their guys just making these movies on their own for themselves and so where do they distribute it? Um, it I found it on Netflix it's not on Netflix anymore but that's where I word huh. of mouth I found it through there and huh. uh, you go to their website and you're like you can buy the $35 DVD from us we know it's expensive but 100% of that funds goes back to us or you can buy it on Amazon for 15 bucks 
and we get a dollar. So where are you going to buy it? Thirty dollars. So, but it was fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, but what do you hope to do next? Like you Western, Western, Heather? Are you going to leave the country again? No, we'll shoot it locally. Cool. Um, and it's all gunfights. None of the other stuff. Not all historically based, but just the gunfights. The problem is that there aren't that many gunfights. It's mostly ambushes. So we have to kind of figure out how to address that issue. Nice. All gunfights. Nothing but gunfights. Um, who's writing the script? Is it yours? I'm working on it with Moody Wurlitzer. From Walker? Yeah. I apologize. I, I tried to get Walker... I tried to watch it before sitting down and talk to you, but uh, the Netflix did not show up in the mail. It's on YouTube. You it's on YouTube. Next time we talk, we'll have all better. It. Actually, what you should do is get the Criterion DVD because the elements on the Criterion DVD are very good. Well, I think that's what I rented from because uh, I still get the discs. Oh, okay, so you get the discs. You'll yeah. get the disc eventually. But I think yeah. it'll be here tomorrow. I don't want to. Next time we talk. No, well, yeah, Walker. Well, Walker's good. I mean, Walker's good. Walker's interesting. Now, Walker, you can... Walker will fit perfectly with what we've yeah. we talked about. Well, let's talk about Walker. Like, um, you go down this... This beer's kicking in very nicely. Um, that was your big passion project. Was They're it your big... All They're all... Are they? Yeah. I know, that's like asking... It's like asking mother... Which is your favorite Which child? Which is your favorite child? Favorite no, they all are. I mean, I can't think of hardly any, anything I've done that I didn't like. I mean, you've got to do it. I mean, sometimes, once or twice I've done things only for money. I mean, I've been an assistant director. I've worked on, I've done second unit for films. Um, I've acted in films that I didn't necessarily think were very good, were great films. But it was fun. Yeah. I had a good time. You know? I liked hanging out with the other actors, and sometimes they were good films too. Yeah. I was an actor in the most popular film in Mexican film history, La Ley de Herodes, Herod's Law, directed by Luis Estrada, and this film was made, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, and it was the first film that like named political parties in Mexico. It would take place in the 1940s. But it was all about corruption, vice, and villainousness. Obviously, had reference to the contemporary political situation. And son of a gun, that was a good film. And I played the character, a, a guy in it called El Gringo. And the Mexicans are very, very polite. Normally, even though we are all gringos, you know, but they would never go, "Oh, look, there's the gringo." But because I'd done this film, then when I went to Mexico right after, like. Kids would go, I hear a guy still You know, and the parents would go, Yeah, see, it's a gringo parent. No, mire. You know, and, and and I became like, seriously, like in Mexico yeah. City, I could walk down the street and people would go, Hey, it's a gringo! You know, and because the film was so popular. And it's died down a bit now because it was a few years ago. But Luis Estrada keeps making sequels to it. He's on his third sequel. The film is so popular that he keeps making these political films about political violence and the drug trade and political corruption. Amazing filmmaker, and I got to be an actor in that. Where do I get to yeah. see this at? You can get it, you can rent it on Netflix. Okay. La Ley de Rodes. 
I will. The law of Herod. Herod's law. Do you like being an actor? Oh yeah, it's great. Did you study at all? You just show, you just directed enough? Not really, because I did a lot of plays and stuff when I was yeah, a oh, kid. There and you stuff, go. So I kind of know how to do it. So I haven't had any training, but the real training that you know, an actor gets is just to watch other actors. You know. And so if you're if you're interested in film, I mean you can do school as well. Yeah. Um, I taught a class at CU with um, a colleague called Chip Persons, who's a, a professional actor and a stage director, and called Acting and Directing for the Camera, where we get the, the film students and the theater and dance students, mix them up, and have them all direct each other and act in each other's pieces. And that's a really good, that's a, obviously a very good class. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the school, What's the most, it's such a broad bullshit question, but what's the most fundamental thing you try to teach these kids today? The, the ones that are really To be independent, to be independent and to do the best they can, um, and to ally themselves with other talented people that they meet along the way, you know, um, and to try and do further projects with them. Nice. Yeah, that, that's one thing I picked up in the Bill stuff that I read was you... You know, it's funny, you, you hear all the time, like, people that went to UCB together, uh, all these different comedy troupes. Yeah, of course. The ones that work, they keep each other working. Of course. You know. And the allies that you make and the talented people that you make, why lose touch with them? Right. You know, yeah. you've met some talented, intelligent people that you like working with, but keep working with them. Yeah. Um, Look at the guys who, you know, the, uh, the South Park. Yeah. You know. They went to... They went, up, went to school up here and... They went to school up here and then they were billionaires! Yeah, and and it's not even that you have to be billionaires, but at least you want to have a good time and you want to work with people that you like. Right. Um, so build the intergalactic... Or build the galactic... I keep wanting to call it build the intergalactic. The intergalactic is the song. Is the song. Okay, that's where I get The Iggy it. Pop guys. The yeah. Iggy Pop and the intergalactic troll. Well, before we end it, like, you got to work with Iggy again. Um, but so, like... I, I imagine like being still friends with Iggy, you're still working with him to this day. It's like going like, Bill, Iggy, will you do a song for this movie? Was it easy to get him to sign on? Oh yeah, because he's just a very agreeable person. I mean, I'd worked with him on um, Sid and Nancy and before that on Repo Man. And Todd, my wife and I were talking about getting somebody to, to provide us with a song for the end credits. And I, um, I said, well, you know, we both talked about the Bowie album that come out that we really liked. And could we ask Bowie? Could we try and license a Bowie song? But we don't know Bowie or anybody in his, in his um, employ. Um, whereas we do know how to get in touch with Iggy. Yeah. And so, so Todd said, why don't you just ask Iggy to write, write you a new song? And he did. He just he listened to the um, uh, or rather he saw the film as it, as it as it was on the internet. He read the script. He read the, the original book on his um, you know on his internet yeah. connected device, whatever it was. And yeah, um, so it was very like Lethal Man. It was very like the experience of Lethal. Every story I ever hear about Iggy, he is just fantastic. He is a good yeah. I mean, he is. 
he is a very, very good force. He's a force for good in independent film and independent music. And not a bad actor. And not a bad actor. Did he act in any of your films, though? He's in Sid and Nancy. He appears briefly in Sid yeah. and Nancy. Uh, he's walking down the staircase while Sid, well, I think it's after Sid falls down the stairs and the guy playing the, uh, the head of the Chelsea Hotel, the manager, is trying to sell some new tenants on the building and they go, oh man, who's that who just fell down the stairs? He's like, don't worry about that, don't worry about that. It's one of our clients here. I just watched that today and I missed that completely, that everything. It's very funny. Are you check it out? I, I think the time has come for me to get the car ready for my wife okay, and great. dogs. Well, Alex, it was great to speak with you. Thank, Thank you for buying me those beers. Yeah, no problem. Super cool. Meeting. Nice to meet you. Great conversation. Hey, all right, buddies. Alex Cox, thank you so much for hanging out and chatting with me. Matt Genero, thank you for picking up the tab and buying all those beers. Uh, it's funny. Uh, Alex drinks the two beers. His wife shows up and he goes, thanks for the beers, boys. Doesn't even offer. But it just cracked me up. It was just such a very, uh, just a very sweet kind of British thing to do. And, of course, we were going to pick up the tab anyway. You know, but it just cracked me up. Um, his wife was very lovely for the five seconds I talked to her. Uh, she's an accomplished author in her own right. Alex has actually got a children's book out. There's so much about him. It's it's insane. We could have talked for another hour or two, and hopefully we will get that chance. Stay tuned. Hopefully I can talk him at the Denver Comic Con. Um, man, let me tell you real quick. That Elvis Costello show that night was fan-fucking-tastic. It was incredible. It was an experience of a lifetime. Um, I've seen him three times. It's been eight years since he's been back to Colorado. I actually flew to Chicago once to see him play Riot Fest. whole reason I went to Riot Fest 2012 in Chicago was to see Elvis Costello. Blew me away. Too bad I didn't get to meet him, but that's okay. We actually, me and my buddy Matt, talked about going and doing that thing where we stay in front of the bus for an hour and see if we ever meet him, but it was cold and we're old men. And when it happens, it'll happen because it's supposed to happen, and it wasn't supposed to happen last night. But uh, but again, thank you to Alex Costello. Talk, hello. Thank you to Alex Cox for hanging out and chatting. Thanks to the Matt for driving, and thanks to my friend Greta for helping me get those Elvis Costello tickets. Um, and thank you to you guys for listening. I again, I said it earlier, but I couldn't do this without you guys. We're nearing episode 100. I can't believe it's taken me long, this long to get to 100. And at the same time, I've never done 100 of anything in my life. It's been a hell of an experience, and uh, hopefully, you guys learn, gain some stuff from this, like I do, and. Man, I'm just blown away by the things I've gotten to accomplish by just doing something. So please, if you want to do something, do it. I'm living proof that any idiot can do it. So, um, And, of course, special thanks to our buddies, Ratio Beer Works at RatioBeerWorks.com, 2920 Larimer in Denver, and Death Wish Copy, DeathWishCopy.com for uh, taking care of me and my uh, alcoholic caffeinated needs and uh please visit mostharmlesspodcast.com like us on itunes subscribe to us on facebook we're on stitcher tune in um and a whole bunch of other podcasting applications uh write me some emails i read every single one of them i'm just really really bad at writing back but believe me i will i will uh read your emails and i love them there are few and far between but please please do and um Please uh, check out Build a Galactic Warrior. You can watch it free on Vimeo. Um, it's a it's a student film. It's very 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 low budget, uh, but it's got some cool stuff in it. And uh, I, it's not a perfect film, but there's a lot of it that I liked. There's a lot of it that I didn't like, but it's okay. You don't have to like everything. 
All right, buddies. Uh, I've got a special treat for you if you've managed to last this long through my ramblings um, because I uh, had my handy-dandy Zoom H1 handy recorder on hand with me and recorded a good chunk of the Elvis Costello live show. Um, Now, some of it's unusable because I am singing along very off-key, but um, I, I did find when listening back that I had a really good part of the story where Elvis is talking about wave a white flag and he goes into an awesome version of watching the detectives. So I thought it'd be fun to just secretly throw that in here, throw that out there um, and uh, share a little treat with you guys today because Elvis Costello, um, whether I met him or not, was such an instrumental part of this interview getting done today. And, uh, I don't know. I'm super excited about everything, and I'm super happy this interview to happen. And I can't believe I got to watch Elvis Costello acoustic, well, with an electric guitar here and there, in a small little theater like the Boulder Theater. It was mesmerizing, mind-blowing, and uh, just thought I'd like to share that with my loyal fans out there. So, all right, buddies. Uh, so, here we go. Here we go with Elvis Costello live, the Boulder Theater, March 1st, 2015, um, with Wave a White Flag, and watching the detectives, buddies. All right, now, we will see you on the party pages. Y'all take care. Mm. You hear that? That's a sick song. I used to share a... I used to share a a, a house with a couple whose favorite song was uh, I Want to Make Violent Love to You. It's kind of become a fashionable thing now. So. <laughs> but it always used to scare me. I was really innocent. So I wrote them this here song and I've been judging audiences ever since on their reaction to it. Hey, Take off your shoes, hang up your wings, stack up the chairs, Roll up the rug, savor the things that sobriety brings. Drain in the last from a jug. But when I hit the bottle, there's no telling what I'll do. Something deep inside me wants to turn you black and blue. I can't resist you, I can't wait to twist your loving arms till you capitulate. And I'll beat you in the hall There's nothing I love better than a free-for-all To take you over the neck and see which way it mends But when it is all over, we will still be friends Wave a white flag, put away the pistol Too many people just can't get kissed But there's nothing I can do to make amends, baby Hope you don't murder me All up to you someday But you didn't have to laugh that way Oh no, you didn't have to laugh that way Wave a white flag Put away the pistol Too many people just can't get kissed But if there's nothing I can do to make amends, baby Hope you don't murder me Treat me, baby Hope
the thought is gonna stop you is no nearly to the miracle to get you to stay Only took my little fingers to blow you away Watching the detectives Don't get cute Watching the detectives Guess I ain't really teardrop star got no heart Watching the detectives Watching the detectives <laughs>